have a Bible where you are, go to do, uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 tonight. We studied about Daniel last time. And today I want to speak a little bit earlier in the story regarding the decisions that Daniel made in the exile. Vamos a ir a Daniel capítulo 1 esta noche, comenzando en el verso 3. La vez pasada estudiamos como Daniel hizo la decisión de no corrompirse. And I shared with you last week how the righteous learn from trouble. And the unrighteous seem to not learn even from good times. But the righteous learn from trouble and they learn righteousness. And in the midst of the exile, we see not only Daniel, but three Hebrew young men making a stand for God. They make a stand for God in the midst of turbulent times. And we begin reading in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and the discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask you tonight to anoint my lips of clay to teach and to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint this congregation that as they hear the word, they might respond to it and that the seed sown in their hearts might bear much fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I've shared with you that the book of Daniel was written in the exile. He compartido con ustedes que el libro de Daniel fue escrito durante el exilio. The exile was a 70-year-long period of time in which the nation of Israel uh, was in Babylon, and later uh, Babylon became Persia, so it's the Babylonian and Persian uh, history there combined. El exilio son 70 años en los cuales la nación de Israel estuvo en esta tierra de uh, Babilonia, después uh, se convirtió a Persia, y estuvieron ahí 70 años en exilio fuera de la nación de Israel. 70 years out of their home, 70 years out of their place of comfort. And many of them uh, would have the opportunity to return. Uh, those who were young at the time of the exile uh, would be very old at the, at the time of the end of the exile and the, end of the, and the beginning of the return. And, but most of them would die in Babylon and never see the land of Israel again. 
Now, I mentioned the exile because, and we've been talking about thriving in the exile, because we're in a bit of an exile as the church right now, not being able to gather in ways that we're accustomed, and even in our families and homes, not being able to gather in ways that we are accustomed because of the health condition situation in our nation, and all of these different things that have taken our world by storm. It's a good analogy uh, for the season that we are in. And uh, if you look at the exile in the Old Testament, you can be encouraged by this, that God knew that they were going in and God knew that he would bring them out. And God knew the length of time which he would allow that exile to last and that it would last no longer than that length of time. You said, Pastor, why should we be encouraged by that? Well, because God knew the season we are in right now, and God knows how he's going to bring us out. Say amen, somebody. And God knows the, the length of time it's going to last, and he will not allow it to last any longer than he has uh, allowed. And can I just encourage you with that, that no season ever lasted forever. Say amen, somebody. No season is eternal. And whether it's a good season or a bad season, you can expect that season's going to end someday, and you and I will someday be back in church, we'll, back, we'll be back at birthday parties and uh, quinceañeras and every other kind of celebration that we are accustomed to. We'll be back at weddings and have the opportunity to enjoy our, our meals together as of the family and as a, a church family. But in, until then, uh, you and I are in this season, and the reality is this, that the people I'm going to talk about tonight were not the people who were responsible for the exile in the sense that they had not sinned in such a way as to provoke the exile, yet they had to go through it just like everybody else. And so uh, that's the reality about seasons that we go through in life, and this season in particular, uh, you and I are going through a season as, a, in, as part of a world and part of a society, um, perhaps our conduct, perhaps our way of living hasn't been what provoked this um, and what, is, what, what God is allowing to happen here is, uh, is indirect. But in any case, we are here. We're passing through it, and we're going to get through it in the name of Jesus, and we're going to be stronger for it. Say amen, somebody, if you believe that. We are like these men that I'm going to talk about tonight. And I wanted to mention that because the exile was 70 years long, specifically because the nation of Israel had missed 70 Sabbath years. Now that means that in the nation of Israel, every seven years, the nation was supposed to take a year-long break. They were not supposed to work for a year. It was about a year off. And that year they would cancel all debts. And so the beginning of the next year, you were debt-free and you were off and running toward uh, the the inheritance that had been provided for you, for your family. And this was a system instituted by God. La nación de Israel se instituyó por el Señor que cada siete años había un año de descanso, un año de jubileo, en el cual se perdonaban todas las deudas y en el cual cuando se perdonaban las deudas también no se trabajaba por un año Esto permitía que la tierra descansara. And so they had a year of rest. That meant the, the, the land rested and the animals rested and the people rested. 
and those who were in bondage uh, were set free because of their debts, and those who were in debt were forgiven. How many of you would like that kind of freedom every seven years? I thought so. It's usually a lot easier when you're the one that owes money instead of the one that has to be paid the money. Now, I doubt we would want to have anyone that owed us money not pay it back after seven years. But the fact was this, that God told Israel, if you will do this, I'll bless you so big that you won't even need the things you're having to forgive. And uh, I, I want to just also mention that because that's a picture of something, and I asked you if you would like that because you already have it. If you don't uh, realize it, let me just remind you that because you're in Christ, your debts have been forgiven, and your sins have been forgiven, and your bondage has been broken. Say amen, somebody. And you have been given jubilee, not just every seven years, but every year and every week and every day. Somebody ought to get excited about that because you're in Christ. So that old ancient practice... Every seven years, the nation of Israel ignored for 490 years. That means they missed seven Sabbath, 70 Sabbath years. And the Lord said to them in the closing words of the book of Chronicles that the land will have its rest. And those 70 years were to be accomplished. Now the people I'm talking about tonight, they weren't the ones ignoring those things that God had instituted because these were righteous men that I am uh, talking about tonight. Now, these were people that obeyed and honored the law of God. But they had to go through that season, nevertheless, because of the sin of the people around them. And can I tell you, friend, that in the midst of that, these people, these men, saw the goodness of God, and they saw the favor of God and the promotion of God. And so tonight, I want to talk about the... The, the hidden value or the hidden, uh, the hidden value of a public devotion. Quiero hablar esta noche de uh, el valor escondido de una devoción pública. You see, there is in this story a lot of value and a lot of promises that can be obtained, which perhaps we don't see or think about very much, but they are nevertheless applicable to our time and promises from God for our time and for the season that we are in. So let me just begin by narrowing this down and talking about four men that the Bible uh, uh, shares uh, with us about here. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These four men were Jewish, they're young, and they are very intelligent, and they're good-looking, and they are... Uh, they are men who are uh, teachable. Estos uh, cuatro hombres de los cuales yo quiero hablar esta noche son cuatro hombres que la Biblia describe como varones, jóvenes, inteligentes, bien parecidos y varones quienes eran uh, educables. Se les podía enseñar. And what Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Babylonian king, would do when he took a nation and he would take uh, over a country, cuando el rey de Babilonia tomaba control de una nación, lo que él hacía es que él se tomaba lo mejor de la nación y se lo llevaba con él. He would take the best of the, of the nation and take them with him. If Nebuchadnezzar did that today, it would be the equivalent of Nebuchadnezzar taking captive 
every valedictorian in high school right now and every person in the top ten in high school and taking them to Babylon. That's essentially what happened here. Some of you say, well, praise God, that wouldn't include me, Pastor. And other of you are saying, oh, there I go, off to Babylon. Well, that would be the case, and that was the case. These four men were the top of their class, and they are the top of the society. They're part of the royal family of Israel. Esos cuatro hombres, varones, son parte de los nobles de la familia de realeza de la nación de Israel. Y son llevados... When they arrive in the Babylonian school, cuando ellos llegan a la escuela babilónica, ahora se les tiene que entrenar porque ellos van a trabajar para el rey. Now they have to be trained because they are about to become uh, part of the king's court. They are about to become advisors and workers in the king's presence. And you can't just enter the king in the old way. You have to be taught how to approach a king. Se te tiene que enseñar cómo llegar a la presencia de un rey. Por lo tanto, se les tiene que educar. They have to be educated. And these are the things that take place. First of all, the Bible says that the, uh, the ruler or the, the leader of the eunuchs, the person in charge, of making these young men worthy of the Babylonian king, his role and his responsibility is to shape them into good members of the king's court. And so the first thing he does is he changes their name. Lo primero que hacen los babilonios uh, es que ellos les cambian los nombres. I want you to notice there in chapter 1 of Daniel, and verse uh, 6 and 7. Usted va a notar ahí en el capítulo 1, el verso 6 y 7, que está el nombre dado por sus padres y luego el nombre dado por Babilonia. So you have there the name given by their parents, a Jewish Hebrew family with a Hebrew name, and then you have the Babylonian name that's being given to them. What I want you to notice here is that when you are in exile and when you are uh, in a situation like the situation that they were in or that you and I are in now, there is always a tendency to have a change of identity. Siempre cuando uno está en un exilio o una, una época difícil de su vida, hay una tendencia de que hay un cambio de identidad, un cambio de nombre. This is a satanic strategy. Esa es una estrategia satánica. Él quiere cambiar tu identidad. The, the enemy wants to change your identity. He wants to rob you of your identity. And he wants to give you a different name than the one that God has given to you. Te quiere dar nombre, no como el cual Dios te ha dado. Let's look at their names. Vamos a estudiar su nombre. In the Hebrew, the name Daniel means God is my judge. En el, en, el, en el hebreo, el nombre Daniel significa Dios es mi, es mi juez. In other words, he is, uh, his name means that he is accountable or answerable to God. Su nombre, el nombre Daniel, implica que él es acontable hacia Dios. That is a very important part of every one of our Christian identities. 
Eso es muy importante para cada uno de nosotros en nuestra identidad cristiana. Es reconocer que nuestra última respuesta es hacia Dios. To understand that our last level of accountability is to God. God is our judge. Listen, friend, every single one of us will someday give an answer to God. Cada uno de nosotros un día dará cuentas a Dios. If you don't realize that or know that, you know it now, you realize it now. You and I are going to give an answer to God for the life we live and for the way that we conduct our life and the way that we use the resources that he gives us. It is very important for you to understand that, that the culture is not your judge and that the, the world system is not your judge and that money is not your judge and that the professors and the, the liberal educators in our nation are not the judge, that our final accountability is to God and to God alone. Es importante reconocer que no somos juzgados por nuestra cultura, somos juzgados últimamente por Dios. That is why in the book of Acts, the writers of the book of Acts ask the question, is it better to obey God than man? The answer obviously is yes. Por eso en el libro de Hechos, los apóstoles, apóstoles, apóstoles preguntan si es mejor obedecer a Dios o al hombre. Sin duda es mejor obedecer a Dios. Listen, if you're going to be on the right side of anything, be on the right side with God. Say amen, somebody. Si usted va a estar bien con alguien, esté bien con Dios. I'd much rather the whole world be mad at me and be in, in right terms and right standing with God. Now that's his name. But he's given the name Belshazzar. Se le da el, el nombre Belshazzar. Un nombre Babilonio. This name means Nebuchadnezzar will protect me. Ahora este nombre significa que el rey de Babilonia es mi protección. I want you to just think about that. What is the satanic strategy there? ¿Cuál es la estrategia satánica? Satan wants to take a man whose identity and understanding is that he belongs to God and he wants to make him believe that he is accountable to the king of, of Babylon and that his protection comes from, the, from Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, you will be tempted in all seasons of life and especially in seasons of difficulty to look and to depend upon other sources for your life. But you cannot allow those things to become your God. Listen, you and I don't look to Washington, D.C., You and I don't look to Austin. You and I look to heaven. The God of heaven is our God. Say amen, somebody. He is our source and our protection comes from God. Nuestra protección viene de Dios. Now you have Haniah, whose name means Yahweh is gracious. Ahora tenemos al segundo nombre que significa que Dios es lleno de gracia. How many of you would agree today that God is gracious? ¿Cuántos reconocen que Dios es lleno de gracia? Our God is a gracious God. And you and I are saved by the grace of God. Usted y yo somos salvos hoy por la gracia de Dios. The name he's given is the name Sadrach. Se le da el nombre Sadrach. Y este nombre This name means full 
of fear or I am afraid. Do you see the difference there that you and I today, we have an identity as being children of God and we are in the grace of God and that grace has taken away all fear, the fear of judgment, the fear of contempt, the fear of rejection, the fear of being left out or cast out of God's presence. We are in the grace of God. The enemy wants to come and make you fearful, fearful of God, fearful of circumstances, fearful of trouble in your life. Don't let him change your name. Then we have Mishael, which means God Oh, pardon, his name means who is like the Lord. Mishael ahora es aquel cuyo nombre significa quien es como nuestro Dios o quien es como Jehová. His name literally means to whom will you compare my God? A quien compararás a mi Dios? Think about that. His name is a question. Saying, is there anybody or anything that can compare to the God of heaven? Is there anything that can compare to Yahweh? Obviously, the answer is no. Sin duda, no hay, la respuesta es no. No hay nada ni nadie que se pueda comparar a Dios. El nombre que se le da es un nombre que tiene una... una un sonido uh, similar. The name he's given is a name that has a similar sound, but it has a very different meaning. He's given the name Meshach, which means despised and humiliated. Se le da el nombre Melzach, el cual significa despreciado y humillado. You realize that Satan wants people, God's people, to walk around feeling despised. Feeling unwanted, unloved, feeling defeated, feeling humiliated by life and by its circumstances. But you and I need to remember this. We belong to God. We belong to him by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no one greater than him. And because he is God and because he's our father, then you and I can square our shoulders and lift up our head because our identity is in the Lord. Say amen, somebody. Listen, don't be humiliated about your past. Don't be humiliated about your lack of education. Don't be humiliated or, or put your head down because of the things you didn't have when you were growing up. Square your shoulders and lift up your head. You are a child of the Most High God. You belong to the Lord. And then we have Azariah, whose name means Yahweh is my help. And he is given the name Abednego which means servant of Nebo, Nebo being a pagan deity. Now we see that uh, this name, Azariah, implies the help and constant provision of God. El cuarto se, su nombre significa la ayuda de Dios. Pero se le da un nombre, siervo de un Dios pagano. Y ahora usted y yo tenemos que identificar esta mañana, esta tarde, que las circunstancias de nuestra vida tienden a cambiarnos a nosotros también. I want you to understand why I'm going through this with you this evening. Because exiles and times of trouble, if you're not careful, will change you in ways that God does not intend. You've got to be on guard for the strategy of Satan. Usted tiene que estar 
a, 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 despierto hacia la estrategia de Satanás. And make up your mind that you're not going to allow or change or trade in your identity in Christ. Que usted no va a dar su identidad por otra cosa. Que usted no va a dar su identidad en Cristo por otra cosa. Ni tampoco se va a rendir a la fuerza de este mundo. Now, there are some things that can change your name. Hay varias cosas que pueden cambiar su nombre. Voy a darle una, dos, unos dos ejemplos. I'll only give you a couple of examples here. First of all, like in the case of these four men, people might want to change your name. Primero, como en el caso de estos cuatro varones, hay personas que quieren cambiar tu identidad, que quieren cambiar tu nombre. People that maybe knew you before you knew Christ. Quizá personas que conocían, que le conocían usted antes que usted conociera al Señor. Y ellos quieren identificarlo con lo que era. They want to identify you with what you were, with what you were like, with the mistakes you made. Uh, lo quieren identificar con lo que usted era, con cómo usted era. Y usted se tiene que determinar. Que no hay nadie que me va a cambiar mi nombre. You've got to make up your mind. No one is going to change my mind or change my name. I am a child of God. I belong to Christ. The blood of Jesus has made me a blood-bought saint of God. Usted es hijo de Dios. Usted tiene la identidad de Dios. Y ahora ha sido nacido de nuevo por el poder de Dios y la sangre de Cristo. Lo ha hecho parte de la familia de Dios. Por lo tanto, su identidad no es lo que era, pero lo que es Cristo. So your identity is not what you were. Your identity is who you are in Jesus. And who are you in Jesus? In Jesus you're loved. In Jesus, you are forgiven. In Jesus, you are a success. In Jesus, you are a, the head and not the tail. In Jesus, you go above and not below. In Jesus, you are blessed going in and blessed going out. Come on, somebody. If you're a child of God, you have an identity greater than any person could ever place on you. Another thing that can shape your name or change your name is circumstances. Otra de las cosas que puede cambiar tu nombre o tu identidad, tu forma de ser, son las circunstancias. Circumstances are things we can't control. Cosas que no podemos controlar. Maybe you've been through a failure, a financial failure, or a marriage failure, or a child raising failure. Or maybe you've gone through failure in your in your economy, whatever the case is. Many times when people go through a failure, they allow that failure to define them. Muchas veces cuando uno pasa por un fracaso, permite que ese fracaso los define. Que ese fracaso los haga, uh, 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 se sientan como que nunca pueden ser más que un fracaso. They feel as though they'll never be more than a failure. Maybe you're, uh, you've gone through loss. Quizá has pasado por pérdida. Has perdido alguien quien tú amas. Maybe you lost someone you love. Or maybe you lost a house that you love. Or a car that you enjoyed. Or maybe you have lost relationships. And you would think that you can never be a win again because of those losses. Friends, 
circumstances do not have to change your identity. As I've said before, your circumstances are not permanent. No season ever lasted forever. And if you keep walking with God, he'll turn a failure into a success. And he'll turn your loss into a win. And he'll turn your lack into more than enough. Come on, somebody. Stay with God. Stick with God. Are you with me tonight? Have you made a decision about your identity? The Bible says these very important words. Daniel made up his mind. Usted tiene que hacer lo que hizo Daniel. Daniel se determinó. He made up his mind that he would not be defiled by the king's meat. Se determinó que él no iba a ser contaminado por la carne del rey. Now, in Daniel's specific context, it literally means because he was Jewish, that Daniel made up his mind that he wouldn't eat pork or pork chops or bacon or any unclean meat. He wouldn't eat any shrimp. He wouldn't eat a hamburger, a cheeseburger, so on. That's because of the kosher law of the Jews. Those were the, the terms under which the Jewish people lived, and Daniel was a Jewish man, so he made up his mind that he would not eat those things, but those were the things being provided by the king. But the, the key word there is that he made up his mind. Remember what I told you a few weeks ago out of the book of Luke. That Jesus describes the signs of the end times. And he says, this is not the end yet. But this is so that you will make up your mind. It's time for you to make up your mind. And to keep your mind made. Es tiempo de, de, de determinarse. Y mantener su mente determinada. Que estos días van a servir de bendición y no de maldición en su vida. What do you make up your mind about? Daniel made up his mind that he would not be contaminated with the world. Se determinó Daniel que no iba a ser contaminado con el mundo. And in every change in life's routines, there are temptations to get involved and to, to become contaminated with the ways of the world, thinking like the world, and reasoning like the world, and loving what the world loves, and enjoying the pleasures of this world. But you and I must make up our mind that we're going to walk with God. Now this decision from Daniel and from these, from these three Hebrew men was one that was made publicly. They made a public decision. That they would not defile themselves. Now, the leader of the eunuchs who was responsible for educating them came to Daniel. And he said, Daniel, if you don't eat the food I'm giving you, the king is going to kill me. So you're going to eat those pork chops. And you're going to eat that, that bacon uh, if it's the last thing you do, but you're going to eat that. And Daniel said, I can't. If I eat that, I will be disrespecting and dishonoring the law of God. And so he made up his mind, and he went to the leader, and he said, look, let me make you a deal. He said, give me ten days. For ten days, you let me eat just vegetables and clean food that I, that I tell you. And 
After those 10 days, if we're not as healthy as you want us to be, then you can do whatever you need to do next. But give us 10 days. He's making a public decision and a public commitment to stick with God. If God in the Old Testament gave the Jews a diet which they could and could not eat, then Daniel wants to stick with that. And he tells the, 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 the leader of the eunuch, and the leader of the eunuch says, all right, I'll give you 10 days. What happened? The Bible said that after the 10 days, Daniel and the other three Hebrews were, better, were in better health, and they were better looking and in better shape than all of the others. And their diet became everybody's diet. And their way of eating became everybody's way of eating because of the faithfulness and favor of God toward them. Now, I'm telling you that story because I want you to see the promises and the benefits that come from public devotion. Now, these are secret or hidden benefits because they're not listed out in, uh, in this express way, but they are certainly in the text. Here they are. Number one, public devotion brings God to the center of your life. Aquí está el beneficio número uno. La devoción pública pone a Dios primero en tu vida. Listen, these men said, we're going to do it God's way. They said that publicly. And now, God was first in their life. You see, when you and I make a decision to live God's way, God becomes first in our life. He becomes the centerpiece of our life. And friend, don't ever think that's not a benefit. Because the Bible says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. So if you say, Pastor, is there a shortcut to getting all of these other things? Yeah, it's a real shortcut. Do it God's way. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added unto you. When you put God, when you say to God, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my whole life, I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna do it your way, God will have no problem in providing and sustaining your life, and He will bless you and increase you just as He has promised. And the benefit becomes God being first in your life. Here's the second benefit. The second blessing is that our heart is focused upon God. Aquí está la segunda bendición. Nuestro corazón se enfoca en Dios. What do you think happens when these four boys, these four young men, tell the, the leader of the units, Publicly, we're going to eat God's way. What do you think they did next? I know what I did next. As soon as I got alone, I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I just stuck my neck out. And if you don't show up, things are going bad. So you're going to have to show up. It made them completely focus on God. And when you and I make a public decision and commitment to follow God, and we have a public devotion. I mean, we don't just serve God in the hard times. We serve God in all times. Amen, somebody. That you and I have a heart that depends exclusively on God. You know, in America, we have 
so much ease and so much comfort and blessing that we often don't hear people calling on God until it's the very last thing they can do. But God wants you and I to live not with Him being the last but being the first and not with our dependence being on everything else and God but our dependence being on God and nothing else. You see, God is the only one worthy of total dependence. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose confidence is not in man. But blessed is the man whose confidence is in God. For he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water, whose roots go into the stream, and who bears fruit in every season. How many of you want roots that hold on in the storm? How many of you want fruit in every season? Then what do you got to do? You have to put your confidence in God alone. And what a blessing there is when you put your confidence in God alone. What does that produce? Here's number three. That when you, make a, when you have a public devotion, when you have a commitment toward God that is for every season of your life, you have the supernatural favor of God over your life. The verse read, to you, with the, verse, with the verse which I read to you, it said that God gave Daniel favor. And the favor of God is such a powerful and such an extraordinary thing in a person's life that it can open doors that are shut. It can bring you status that you don't have. It can create opportunities. The favor of God can do in a minute what you can't do in 10 years. So guess what? You need the favor of God. Say amen, somebody. El favor de Dios puede hacer en un minuto lo que usted y yo no podemos hacer en 10 años. El favor de Dios abre puertas. El favor de Dios crea y uh, abre oportunidades. Y cuando usted y yo hacemos la determinación pública y privada de decir yo voy a servir a Dios Usted y yo recibimos el favor de Dios sin que Él retenga nada. When you and I make a decision to do things God's way, He gives us unhindered favor. He gives us the supernatural favor of God. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible said that God is able to make all grace abound to you. That you would have all sufficiency in all things. And may have abundance in every good work. How good is that? He says he's able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. That means always having the favor of God. Because grace is unmerited favor. He makes all favor abound to you. So that when you go ask for a job, you get a job. So that when you go and ask for the assistance or help that you need, you get that assistance or help. When you go and pursue a particular dream or opportunity, you receive it because you have the abounding favor of God over your life. 
Come on, I want you to believe today that even in the midst of exile, Daniel and these three young men walked in the favor of God. Even in Egypt, Joseph walked in the favor of God. Guess what? Even in the middle of this crisis, you and I, the children of God, we are walking in the, un in the unmerited and supernatural favor of God. Say amen, somebody. I want you to say this with me. God's favor is on my life. You believe that? Have you seen that? Haven't you seen God show up and show you favor? He's doing that because he wants to show the world who his kids are. Who it is that puts total dependence and trust on him. Having all sufficiency, that means having all that you need, having enough. How many of you want to have all sufficiency? And then the next word is, and abundance. How many of you want abundance? Where does it begin? When you have a complete devotion to God. When you have a complete heart devotion to the Lord. You realize that the Lord is calling you and I to complete devotion to Him. To remove every source of dependence except Him. Here's the fourth blessing that comes from a public devotion and this secret is one which many of you are living right now. And that is that when you have a complete devotion to God, it produces freedom on every level of your life. Cuando usted hace una devoción completa a Dios, esto provoca libertad en todas las áreas de su vida. Freedom. Why, Pastor? Why do I have freedom? By, by, by devoting myself to God. Because when you make God your total source. And you say God I depend on you and you only. You become free from fear. Free from anxiety. Free from worry. You become free from the bondage of what other people think. What other people say. You walk in the supernatural Freedom of God. Why? Because Jesus is Lord and you know it. And when Jesus is Lord and you know it, you have freedom. Do you know it? Do you know it? Listen. When Jesus is Lord and you don't know it, you panic, you worry, you complain, you get into sorrow start blaming, you start looking for somebody to put the pressure on. When Jesus is Lord and you know it, you have peace. And you sleep at night knowing that while I'm sleeping, God is restocking the shelves. And when I get up in the morning, what I need will be provided. And what I need will be there. When I need a job, he'll provide a job. And when I need a breakthrough in my finances, he'll provide a breakthrough. And when I need a source out of no source, he'll make one. When I need an opportunity, he'll create one out of nowhere. Come on, somebody. Will you have freedom in knowing that Jesus is on the throne and that he's in control? If you, if you don't know that freedom tonight, make Jesus Lord of your life. Because when he's Lord of your life, it brings freedom to every level of your life. 
The Lordship of Christ produces emotional freedom, spiritual freedom, financial freedom, relationship freedom. It produces physical freedom and health freedom. So make him Lord. Look at what James says. He says in James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, verse 7 through 10, therefore submit to God. That means make him Lord. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free from you, flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you heart, your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. What is it saying there? James is saying to a people going through a hard time. He says, look. It's time to submit to God. It's time to draw near to God. It's time to get clean. And it's time to humble yourself in the sight of God. And when you do those things, he will lift you up. He'll give you favor. And he'll give you freedom. And you'll live in freedom from the devil, from your past, from the fear of the future. You'll live in freedom from every weight and every yoke and every bondage that this life can bring. Outside of Christ, there's no freedom. But in Christ is perfect freedom. In Christ is the favor of God. In Christ is nearness to God. These four men decided they would not let God down. They would not fail their commitment to God. And when you do that, when you go all in with God, God goes all in with you. Aren't you glad about that? God is all in with you. I said God is all in with you. If you're sold out to him, he's all in with you. He won't fail you, won't let you down. Trust him. You cannot fail. Would you bow your head where you are? Just lift your hands to heaven. Come on, lift your hands and give to him every care, every worry, every concern, every anxiety. Give to him the circumstances, the failures, the losses, the things you can't control. Just give it to him and thank him because he's Lord and because his lordship produces freedom for your life. Because his lordship produces change in the unchangeable circumstances of your life. Almighty God, we thank you because you are Lord. And because your grace and favor is upon us. And because in the midst of crisis, we've seen your hand. We've seen your move. We've seen your provision. We've seen your supply. We've been helped by the Almighty. We've seen your blessings. And we know... That it is not in vain to serve the Lord. It is not in vain to put our trust in God. 
Your word says that some will trust in chariots and some will trust in horses. But tonight we say we will trust in the Lord. We will depend upon you and you only. For you are our source. And to you be the glory forever. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise. Give him glory.